Try it now. There you go. I am technologically savvy. <laughs> Today we are going to finish up the book of Proverbs that we've been making our way through as part of our teaching series on wisdom. And the next stop is Ecclesiastes. The title of my message today, out of the last few chapters of Proverbs, is one of my favorite of all times. We'll pop it up on the screen. It is Irish Accents and Revisiting Vomit. Oh my gosh, this is great. So let's just dive right in. I want to read two Proverbs right now, and you'll see later what they have to do with Irish accents. That's out of Proverbs chapter 24, 17 is the first one. The next one's out of chapter 25. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble Do not let your heart rejoice. We'll put a little comma there. Now let's move to Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Jesus famously told people, love your enemies. And even though the Proverbs we just read were penned centuries before Jesus uttered those words, they're actually quite progressive because they serve as stepping stones that led people to the fulfillment of Jesus' words to love our enemies. Let me explain. In ancient Bible times, people lived in a tribal culture. That's why when you read through the Old Testament portion of Scripture, many people get completely freaked out to see people operating as tribes. They are absolutely barbaric, okay? The blood and gore and violence just messes with your mind when you're reading that part of the Bible because things in the book of Genesis go from zero to Game of Thrones just like that, okay? They are so barbaric. People back then believed that God loved them. But again, remember, they're operating in a tribe. So they naturally assume, well, God loves us. That means he loves our tribe. That means he hates the people in the other tribes who are our enemies. So when battles broke out amongst the tribes, which was common in tribalism, they would pray to God for help, which is naturally what you do. And their prayers were something like this. God, you know we're going into battle, and you can read some of these prayers in the Old Testament. God, we're going into battle. Please wipe them out. Please make them little smudge spots on the ground. Smite them, almighty smiter, to quote Bruce Almighty. That's basically what they were doing. They viewed God like being their own private heavenly hitman. That kind of thinking survived for centuries, and sadly, it's still alive and well today. We've just toned it down a little bit. That's what we've done. We don't pray that God would kill our enemies. We know better than that, right? But secretly, we just hope he makes their lives miserable for the next few weeks, months, or years, or decades, all right? There's a line in an ancient religious text called the Dead Sea Scrolls that says this, and I'll put it up on the screen. One ought to have an eternal but concealed hatred for men of the pit. So you ought to hate your enemies, but just conceal it. That's us, right? We still hate our enemies, and we hope God hates them too. We just hide that. We conceal it. That's why these Proverbs that we just read were so radical, because they were taking people from the common thinking of the time, which is to hate your enemies, and leading them somewhere different. They were leading them towards love instead of hate. This must have seemed impossible to them because, quite frankly, loving your enemies, like Jesus said, seems impossible to me because the people that oppose us, the people that mistreat us, the people that are mean to us, they just seem so creepy, don't they? And so every molecule in your body is saying, I don't want to love them. They're creepy, okay? I want to hate them. So why, if it's so difficult to love our enemies, why should we try to do that? 
Why? Well, let me tell you. Here's a few reasons why you shouldn't hate people. Number one, it multiplies evil. If you hate the people that hate you, all you're doing is multiplying evil in the world. All you're doing is adding to the ugliness that already exists in the world. And I don't know if you've watched the news lately, there's plenty of ugliness to go around already. Hate will never make the world a more beautiful place. It'll never make the world a better place. It'll never make the world a more kind and generous place. Only love has the power to do that. And the second reason not to hate is for our own good. When we hate people, we naturally think that the, the people that are going to be damaged by our hate are actually the people we hate. And that might be true, but actually the first person that gets damaged when you hate is you yourself, okay? Our hate ends up hurting us. It corrupts our soul. It shrinks our social circles down. It degrades our spirit. It is such an awful self-inflicted wound. Thirdly, we don't hate because when we hate, we miss out. This is a biggie. When you choose to hate someone, you miss out on so many opportunities to experience intimacy and wonderful moments with God because God has labeled himself as love. He said, I am love. So if God is love, then he's going to be all about love. So if we choose to hate, here's God over here loving people. And if we choose to hate, we're over here hating people. And God won't make that journey with us. He can't go into the hate with us because it's not who he is. So we miss out on so many wonderful moments with him. So how do we do it? How do we love our enemies instead of hating them? Well, these proverbs and a few words from Jesus will actually give us the answer. Step one, Step one on getting off the hate wagon and making the journey towards love is this. No schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is a German word and it means this, deriving pleasure from someone else's misfortune. And that's what that proverb we read in chapter 24 of Proverbs was talking about. It's warning us away saying, hey, if something bad happens to your enemy, don't delight in that. Don't be happy about that. Instead, do what it says to do in chapter 25 of Proverbs, bless your enemies, help your enemies, do kind things for your enemies, even practical things like bringing them food or water if they need it. Listen, loving your enemies doesn't mean you accept what they did to you. It was wrong and hurtful, and it'll always be wrong and hurtful. Nor does it mean you have to conjure up some warm, fuzzy emotions for them. Not going to happen. I've had several enemies in my life, and to this day when I think of them, I don't think, oh, that makes me feel so wonderful inside to even think of their face. No, it doesn't, okay? Loving your enemies simply means you choose to put love into action. Instead of choosing to do mean things that will hurt them, you're choosing to do kind things that will help them. That's why love has been labeled the third way by many people, by many great thinkers, because it's not passive acceptance of cruel behavior, nor is it violent revenge that you take upon people that treat you cruelly. It's a third way. It's overcoming evil with good. The fact that chapter 25 tells us that when we do this, it's like pouring hot coals on our enemy's head. In other words, in more modern lingo, it's like making them feel like crap because of how they've treated us. That's just a side benefit, okay? Step number two. First, no schadenfreude. Step number two, see the truth. There's a famous saying that the Quakers have, and I'll put that up on the screen too. I love this saying. That of God in everyone. That of God in everyone. That's so good. 
What it means is every single person you come into contact with in your life, including the people that you would label as your enemies, has something of God in them. They were created in the image of God. They bear in them the life and the spark of life that is from God. They are actually not the enemy, okay? They're just people that need Jesus just like you and I do. So, see the truth in that. And step number three, pray. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells some people to love their enemies. That's where that phrase came from. And then in the next breath, he tells them to pray for those enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant because you can't pray for someone and hate them at the same time. I know I've tried it. I've tried. I thought, okay, that person's my enemy. I can't stand the thought of their face even, okay? I'm going to pray for them. I thought, but I'll be able to hate them while I pray. No, you can't. It's like sneezing with your eyes open or just eating one potato chip. Some of you are going to go to this candy festival and they have those potato chips on the stick. I tried to eat one and I couldn't. You can't stop. That's why they give you a whole stick full, okay? That's what it's like with prayer. You can't pray and hate someone at the same time. So when you're praying for someone that you currently hate, you're getting a momentary reprieve from that hate, which will lead to a permanent reprieve from it. It's a great step in moving away from hate to love. And also, when you pray for your enemies, this crazy miracle happens. Against all odds and even against your own wishes, as you're praying for them, and this might take praying for them over and over again, you start to get compassion for them. It's the craziest change, and it comes with such a shock, you never see it coming. You'll get done praying for them, and suddenly it dawns on you, oh my goodness, I no longer desire to do them evil. I no longer hope to throw them into a wood chipper, okay? (laughs) It's stuff like that. And you don't see it coming. The compassion is so surprising, all right? And step number four, imitate. This is the best thing you can do to move away from hate. You can imitate God, and this is where Irish accents come in. I don't know if you've ever been around people with Irish accents. I was in Boston earlier this summer as I did a wedding over there, and I spent quite a bit of time around a, a group of Irish people that were at the wedding and came over from Ireland. After about 20 minutes with them, I, just, I was just enthralled. I think Irish accents are the coolest sounding accents in the world. People can cuss, profusely swear in Irish accents, and it's like, I know you're saying awful words right now, but that sounds so cool. I don't even think it's a sin. I think God is up in heaven just going, yeah, that's all right. That sounds cool because it's Irish, okay? It's just so cool. And they're, I, they're not just the best accents, they're the most contagious After about 20 minutes around these people at this wedding party, I was starting to talk in an Irish accent, which I won't do for you, and it's not going to happen at Welcome to Me either, okay? I'm really bad at Irish accents, but you couldn't help yourself. It just kind of rubs off on you. And it's the same with the ways of God. When you spend time with Jesus, basking and marinating in his presence, you just letting his spirit percolate inside of you. As you study what he's like and read about him, you just become enraptured with him. And his ways become not just attractive to you, his ways become contagious to you. You start to talk like he talked to others. You start to live like he lived. And you start to love like he actually loved, which means you have a willingness to love your enemies just like Jesus did. It is so 
great, okay? So loving our enemies might seem impossible, but fortunately God has skills on doing impossible things. But someday, on your own, read the end of Matthew chapter 5. Because Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. And then at the end, he says this statement. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word perfect is actually this cool Greek word teleos. It's where we get our word telescope. And it means you have arrived, like something that was off in the distance that you could only see, you arrived at. So how cool is that? Because when we love our enemies, other people might think, you're crazy. You're acting like a crazy person right now. When we love our enemies, you might think you're crazy. What am I doing? Why am I loving this person? But God looks at you and has a different response. God looks at you and celebrates your actions and says, oh, you're loving your enemies? Now you have arrived. That's what he thinks. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Woo, that's like a mic drop good, but I don't, I'm not going to drop this. It doesn't make a sound, okay? So now let's move on to revisiting vomit. There are some things in life that you just shouldn't do. Hopefully your parents gave you wisdom on this or your grandparents, whoever raised you. Um, don't eat yellow snow. Don't fry bacon in your birthday suit. Don't use a dead person on your resume as a reference. <laughs> Somebody did that. I'm not kidding you, okay? The last few chapters of Proverbs from chapter 24 on are full of things that you just shouldn't do. And we don't have time to go over all of them. You can read them on your own, but I want to highlight one out of Proverbs chapter 26. This is verse 11. I didn't make this up. This is cool. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. What a disgusting little part of the Bible that is, right? And I got to tell you, I'm a dog person. I love dogs. And as much as I love dogs, I don't know why almost every breed of dogs insists on participating in this disgusting little venture, okay? But when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, but sadly, our behavior as humans is quite similar to the dogs. Because for some reason, think about your own life here. Think, let's be honest. For some reason, all of us in this room insist at times on revisiting attitudes or actions or thoughts or behavior that were destructive or disgusting the first time around, and yet here we are doing them again. We're like dogs returning to their vomit. So let me talk a little bit about this discouraging, disgusting little proverb using a couple of keywords. And the first one is amnesia. Now, I'll connect it to this proverb, but just give me a minute. In the book of Matthew, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, famous baptizer. It was in his name, John the Baptist. And he baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, all of a sudden there's a heavenly voice, and people realize it, that it's not a normal voice, it's the voice from heaven, and it's declaring to Jesus and everybody else, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is huge, because right after that, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, this stark, bleak, lonely place, where he was tempted by the devil with all kinds of temptations for the next 40 days. Would have been a very difficult portion of Jesus' life. And the first few temptations that the devil hurls at Jesus began with these words, if you are the Son of God. He was tempting Jesus to forget about his identity. The devil's being so crafty here. He knows that the key to 
all temptation is to get people to forget who they are and what they're supposed to be doing with their lives. And that's what he was doing with with Jesus. And Jesus resisted these temptations in two ways. First of all, he quoted the Bible out loud. He quoted Scripture out loud. Always a good thing to do when you're being tempted. Try to participate in a temptation while you're quoting the Bible, okay? You might be able to do it, but it totally sucks all the fun out of the sin, okay? But just try that. It'll, It'll keep you away from a lot of vomitous piles in your life. And the second thing he did is he remembered his identity. We know he did this because he looked at the devil at one point and said, hey, mankind doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what were the last words that proceeded from the mouth of God that Jesus had heard? It was those words, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was those identity affirming words. Those were the last words Jesus heard. So I have no doubt that right in the middle of this temptation, as the devil was attempting to get him to forget who he was and what his life was about, instead Jesus was remembering those words and his identity and his calling in life were confirmed. And this is so important to us. In our lives, most of your return trips to the vomit pile are due to amnesia. You forgot who you really are and you forgot what you're supposed to be about. And who are you? You're a deeply loved child of God. And what are you supposed to be about? You're supposed to be about participating in the revolution of love and beauty that Jesus is up to, making people aware of the reality and the nearness of God. Oh, so often when I sin, which is a lot. And some people think their pastors don't sin. That's okay, not true. Okay, ask my wife, all right? But so often when I sin, my first thought is this. This isn't me. This thought, this activity, this behavior, this isn't me. This is below my dignity. I was made for more than this. And I hope that's your first thought too. I really hope it is because it's true. There's this wonderful lady, she said this. This is like a great theme for church too, by the way. She says this about church. Says, I don't go to church to have my needs met. I go to church to have my needs changed. Thank you so much for that. That's so great. Our needs change when we gather together like we're doing here today in sacred community and we remember who we are. And we remember what we're supposed to be about in our lives. We no longer need those sticky, repulsive sins in our life that have been distracting us because that's not who we are. And here's some super good news. We have help in this process. God won't leave us alone as we resist temptation. He'll help us to resist it. He'll help us to recall our identity. He'll help us to recall our purposes in life. He'll help us to stay away from things that take us back to the vomit pile. There's this really great part of the book of Jude, which is the second to the last book in the Bible, and the end of it is a thing called the doxology. It's this poetic portion of Scripture. It's just beautiful. And the doxology, that's actually a word that means two words put together. It just means glory saying. The doxology is a glory saying. It's a saying that when you hear it, makes you want to rise up out of your seat and cheer. And this particular doxology, there are several in the Bible, has to do with the fact that Jesus will get us where we're supposed to go. He'll get us away from this this habit of returning to our vomit like dogs, and instead he'll move us on to the life that we're supposed to live. 
It's so great, and we're going to pray it today. So you can't pray the doxology sitting down. doesn't work. It's too good. So could you stand with me, and we're going to pray this out loud. This is, oh, if you want to get a tattoo or remember a scripture forever, this is the one for you, okay? It has to be on a big portion of your, Bible, of your body, though, because it's kind of long. So let's pray this. Can we pop this on the screen? Do we have this? Please let's have it, or else I'm going to have to read it out of the Bible. We have it. Here we go. On three. Ready? One, two, three. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And that's a cool doxology. It's not the one I wanted to pray today. So I'll tell you the one. You can have a seat. That was a little um, technical glitch. The one I wanted to pray... Though I'm glad we prayed that. It's a great prayer. But the one at the end of June is basically, Jude, is it basically this. To him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious throne, be all praise, glory, forever. Amen. Oh, it's so great. So look it up in Jude and pray it standing up for yourself tonight. All right? Now, the last word I want to talk about and how it relates to this proverb is the word boundaries. And that's actually a word that has more to do with other people's behavior than your own. Some people get stuck in negative cycles in their life. Proverbs refers to these peoples as fools. They're people who are guided or driven by destructive, violent, or selfish behavior. You may have some people in your life like this, and you can tell if you do, because every time you're around them, you feel uneasy or even afraid or like you got slimed, like a bucket of goo was poured over you. And after they leave your presence, it takes you about two days to recover, to get your spiritual and emotional bearings back. It's awful and it's soul-sucking. And this will be hard for some of you to hear because it sounds so harsh, but I hope you can. Some people right now in your life are toxic and possibly even dangerous for you to be around. They will hurt you, and they might quickly apologize after they hurt you, but then they'll instantly repeat their hurtful behavior like a dog returning to its vomit. Listen, you don't have to stay in that cycle with them. They might insist on returning to their vomit, but you don't have to be there when they arrive. It's boundary time at this point for you. You can still love them. You can even forgive them, but you can do it from a safe distance because, listen, it doesn't do anybody any good for you to just sit there and take it, for you to just absorb their destructive, cruel, or abusive behavior. It doesn't do them any good. It just reinforces their negative behavior, and it doesn't do you any good because it extinguishes the joy and the life in you. Establishing boundaries does not mean you are heartless or holier than thou, and it doesn't mean that you think you're better than that person. It's none of that. It means you are wise because you've realized two things. Number one, that Jesus is this person's Savior, and you're not. Okay? That's an important truth to recognize. And secondly, you've realized that you need to guard with all your might, the the divine spark of life that God has placed in you and the giftedness that he's placed in you because the world needs what you've got inside of you. 
You've got to guard it. You've got to keep it from being extinguished. So this process of establishing boundaries to guard what's inside of you is incredibly difficult. I know because I've done it, and so have some of my friends. Incredibly difficult. You're probably going to need the help of some really wise friends or a pastor or possibly a counselor, but you can do it. So I want you to know, some of you, I'm talking to you right now, you know good and well that you're hearing from the Lord right now. You're going, I need these boundaries. This is going to destroy me. You can do it. God will get you there. All right? Let's pray, can we? God, we don't want to hate. It seems so natural and even fun, but it's corrosive to our hearts and just adds to the ugliness that's in the world. So help us, God, to be different Help us, Lord, to love everybody, even our enemies, because that's when we've really arrived. That's the destination we want to be at. And God, please help us to remember who we are and what we're about so we won't revisit our vomit, our destructive habits, our destructive behavior and thoughts and attitudes. And please, God, help us to establish boundaries when it's necessary. So if other people insist on returning to the vomit of their cruel and destructive behaviors, we can say to them, hey, you might want to do that, but I'm not going to be around when you arrive. Lord, and if we can still love them, great, Lord, but help us to love them from a safe distance. We're going to need wisdom to do this, Lord. We're going to need courage to do this, Lord. We're going to need help to do this. So be it. Please bring all those things into our life, Lord. Thank you. In your name we pray these things, and thank you for these interesting nuggets of wisdom. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. If you need a little extra prayer today, Jimmy's here. He'll be praying for you. And the rest of you, we'll see you here next week. Have a glorious, we're getting towards the end of summer, so soak in the sun or what looks like sun out there as much as you can. God bless you. Have a great day.